And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. the end of January, it is another edition of the Crawford Talks. He is the beat writer for the Astros for The Athletic, Jake Kaplan. I'm Mike Meltzer. Jake, it's been, we are nearing the end of the offseason. How have you been? I've been okay. Hanging in over here. Uh, how are you? Doing okay. Still don't think I've had COVID, so I think that's about all I can really ask at this stage. Yeah, that's good. I'm um, glad to hear that. It's definitely good to be back on the mic. I think mine was a little dusty and had to... Uh, clean it off a little bit it's been what since i don't know when's the last time we did one of these i think early december was the last time it was kind of a, a check-in with the off season yeah and you know not so not surprisingly the off season didn't start till january it feels like so at <laughs> yeah. least at least stuff has finally happened uh not enough i would argue and there's so many free agents still available that it's pretty ridiculous but at least they've made progress since the last time we talked on on the baseball yes. front well, the, a couple of big things. Uh, let's start with something that you and I and I think a lot of Astros fans expected to happen, which is they lost George Springer. He signed a six-year deal worth $150 million with uh, the Blue Jays. I was surprised when I think about my take going in that it was the Blue Jays, not the Mets, making this move. But it was, a, I think, Jake, a great deal for him. Um, considering the way the offseason went, considering the deal that DJ LeMahieu signed with the Yankees, which I think I think was six for 90, that is an excellent deal for George Springer in this particular offseason. Yeah, I agree. I thought um, five years, 125 was about where he would end up. And I talked to some people throughout free agency who thought he would get less than that. Um, hmm. So... Yeah, I mean, I don't know if anyone else was willing to offer what the Blue Jays offered him, which is probably why he ended up there. But I, I definitely think that he made out really well considering the circumstances. Obviously, you know, had he been a free agent a year ago, he makes out even better. But, um, you know, all things considered, he, he he got at least one more year than I thought he would and and many millions of dollars more than I thought he would. Let me ask you this question. So I think at some point, like in the distant past, the Astros offered Springer one of those like awful long-term contracts where a player can lock in some money, but nothing significant. I think this was maybe, I want to say back in like 14 or 15. Do, do you recall that? I recall something along those lines, like the John Singleton con yes. type of contract. Yeah, of I think deals. they tried to do that with most of their young <laughs> players at that point. Yeah, trying um, to snooker them in. Which I don't think the players particularly appreciate. Um, maybe some, some you know, Singleton obviously took it. But yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, I wasn't on the Astros beat yet, but I do remember a little a, a window of time when that was like a thing. Well, my next question for you is going to be to break down Craig Biggio's negotiations. So just just wait for it. <laughs> now, uh, so I, I really wanted to set that up to kind of lay the foundation for this question, which is since that point, Springer has been to me the heart and soul of the Astros. And I think our audience knows that. I don't know how many people nationally feel that way. Like I was I was on the air on Sirius XM the night that Springer signed with the Blue Jays. And that was my big take. I was like, listen, you guys around the country might not know, but like this is a heart and soul kind of player. Like this was the foundation of this of this team that ended up winning the World Series. What do you think the discussions about a contract have been with the Astros and George Springer the last like year or two. Have there been any discussions? Was there like uh, a knowledge between both sides that, hey, this is realistically not going to happen? W what have you heard about those discussions, if any existed? 
I'm sure some existed. I don't know for sure how far they went, but you know, every year when these these arbitration eligible players go through the process, they're talking about salary, you know, for the next season and yep, a lot of times potential future deals come up in conversation. I don't think it was ever you know, I think it was always kind of viewed as a foregone conclusion based on the Astros uh, strategy as it comes to free agency and Springer's age. Just those two things didn't never were really going to align. I don't think, um, you know, I don't know what their best offer was or or even if they made one. Um, sure, over the years they talked, but like it's, you know, the team that has never spent won a bidding war in free agency is probably not going to win a bidding war on the 31 year old center fielder. Um, so I, I don't know what their best effort was or, or would have been, but uh, I assume it wasn't anywhere close to what he got from the blue Jays. I mean, I'll, I'll come out and say it. This is not a deal I would have done. Uh, I, and you and I have talked about these long-term deals to guys who are in their late twenties or early thirties. In this case, Springer's going to turn 32 late in 2021. This is not a contract I would have felt comfortable with. Like from a Blue Jays standpoint, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, Jake, unless they win the American League or the World Series, this contract is not going to age well. Like, yeah, the first three years, it should be fine. But there's no way you can convince me that when George Springer is 35, 36, 37, this is going to look like a long-term deal. And I just, in my personal life, in my analyzing sports life, I just, I hate financing that goes like that, where you're, where the, the long-term is going to kill you, but you're doing it for the short-term. I hate that. It's, I, I think, you know, it, every team's in a different spot and the Blue Jays are in a way different spot than the Astros are. And they have a young core that they're not paying very much yet. And, you know, if you want to get one of these type of players on the free agent market, you're going to have to pay above market value or what, what you would probably be comfortable with. Right. And it's kind of just part of the game. If you, if you never do one of these deals, you're just never going to sign the marquee free agents. Um, that's where I would be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's probably what have That's what the Astros do, right? I mean, they've never yeah. signed a marquee free agent since Jim Crane took over, and that model has worked for them. Um, but to me, it kind of—I don't know. I think I think Toronto has to pay a little bit more as kind of a tax because they have a hard time lowering players. Um, I can see that, and I think it's just kind of you know, if you want to take that next step where they are, it's kind of a deal. Where you know more than the 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 value of Springer as a player, just like what it says to the the franchise, uh, it kind of reminded me of like back in like I think it was December 2010 when the Nationals uh, signed Jason Worth to that monster deal. I think it was like 126 million over seven years, and yeah, similar deal to that. And Jason Worth wasn't like an maybe he made an All Star game here or there, but he wasn't like a superstar player. Or he was just like a, he was a good he was player. And he was on the older side. I think he was 31. And, but, you know, they had Harper and Strasburg and um, these young players coming up. It kind of was like, all right, it it kind of signaled like the the turn, right? So it kind of reminded me of that. Um, But yeah, I hear you. I mean, I I think um, there is definitely risk um, for the Blue Jays. I think they're definitely. is a a, a clock on how much longer Springer is a center fielder. I would say he's agreed. He's a right fielder for most of this contract, I think, which is, I mean, there's still a lot of value in a good right fielder, but, um, but yeah, I mean, what he's going to be 36, 37 at the end of it. And um, how many 36 year old position players do you see that are uh, above average? Good. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I think the worth one is a pretty good comparison. Uh, also a long-term deal signed right before he turned 32. And you look at worth, you know, his OPS plus was pretty well above average those first couple of years at Washington. The, the first year was kind of a was kind of like a slump for him, but then those last years, you know, it was he was a below average player. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah, so yeah, I think you can sell me on that 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 Toronto's a team that hasn't won big in a while. It's in a foreign country basically. Um, and Tampa? they have Buffalo. 
Where are they going to yeah, play I was this year? Say, I, was, I was actually wondering. I'm like, where are they going to play this year? Should I ask that that question out loud? Is that going to make me seem ill-informed? I'm sure George I mean, I, Springer asked that question at some point, too. <laughs> yeah. Do we know where they're going to play this year? No, we don't. We don't. Okay. I wonder I wonder how people always talk about Springer going back to the, uh, to the Northeast. Uh, how much do you think that played into this decision? Because, like, I think Toronto's a great city, but it's not like it's not like it's unbelievably close to Connecticut from a logistical standpoint. Yeah, I don't know if I buy into the he wants to be closer to home narrative. I think, you know, he's never said that, and I think media members sometimes project. Um, I, I mean, I think most free agents maybe even 99% of free agents simply go where the most money is, right? Like, yep. you know, if it gives you a chance to win, that's great too. But, you know, usually money talks. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I don't really have any issue with the way the Astros handled this whole thing. Um, when I look at their at the decisions they had to make, I'm talking big picture. So re-signing Bregman, Altuve, Verlander, the last one didn't work out. Letting Cole walk away, Springer, they you know they had him for his prime seasons. I, I think this makes a lot of sense. And and honestly, if you're asking me, choice: Do you re-sign Springer for six years, one fifty? or give Michael Brantley a two-year deal for $32 million, I would have chosen, Jake, what they did, which is re-sign Michael Brantley. I would have done the same thing that James Click and, uh, and Jim Crane did. Would you rather have given Michael Brantley two years and $32 million or one year and $18.9 million? Well, that's the question, uh, <laughs> because they did not extend the qualifying offer to him, which you predicted on this podcast a couple of months ago, and then they sign him at a price tag that's just slightly... Uh, lower than the average annual value, av- average annual value of the qualifying offer. So it leads to the question: Like, did they misplay the market a little bit? I think so. Um, or they paid more for Brantley than anyone else was willing to. Um, you know, something changed, right? And clearly, the bl- something had to change. Yes, the, yes. Clearly, the Blue Jays, the the reports of Brantley having a deal with the Blue Jays sparked the Astros into action. Um, so maybe maybe in retrospect that uh, those reports really helped Michael Brantley. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's not consistent process-wise, right? Like if you're going to give them two years, 32 million, you extend them the qualifying offer and at the worst, get the draft pick out of it. Um, but I think there's a chance he would have taken one year, 18.9. Okay, so, yeah, what would have happened if they had offered him the qualifying offer? Like, what do you think the likely series of events would have been? I think he would have taken it. Given all the uncertainty on the market and the pandemic, yeah. uh, he really likes Houston and um, wanted to be back with the Astros. So, yeah, I, I would guess, I, with no inside knowledge, just, you know, reading the market and his age, um, I think I think it would have been a better deal for both sides, really, because, you know... Um, it's only a two-year deal, so it's not like they're stuck with Michael Brantley forever if he suddenly ages a lot. But yeah, um, there is risk in a third, you know, signing a guy to that contract for his age 34 and 35 seasons. Um, you know, it's not, you know, it, I, they went above what I thought they were going to be willing to go. Yeah, I think a lot of us were surprised, particularly on that day last week, because there was a reporting earlier in the day that he had resigned that he had signed excuse me with the Blue Jays that 
obviously it turns out not to be the case. I mean, listen, Michael Brantley is still a very good player, and he is a formidable bat in the lineup. So I think for this season, yeah, that you're not you know downgrading, assuming he plays around the same level. But adding in that second year, all of a sudden, you're taking on that risk of the injuries that he's had over the course of his career, the natural aging curve, and the fact that, and you've pointed this out, Jake, that it, it kind of limits them from a lineup standpoint because, you know, Brantley is fine in left field, but maybe that makes him more susceptible to injury, and there's really no other place to put him because Jordan Alvarez, who is back, is the full-time DH. Yeah, I, I think Alvarez makes it a difficult fit in some ways because, you know, Brantley basically has to stay healthy. Uh, or Alvarez has to f- figure out a way to be competent in left field. And and I think Brantley staying healthy is more likely of those two outcomes. Um, so, yeah, it's not I, I, it's it's part of the reason I thought that, you know, the Astros acquiring either uh, a center fielder or a more versatile left fielder who could maybe shift between left and right back up center um, or both made more sense than sinking basically your one chip into Michael Brantley. Cause I, I mean, once they signed Brantley, they're, you know, they're off. That was their big move, right? Like they're, they're not yep. doing much else. I mean, they brought back Jason Castro, which we'll get into in a little bit, but um, you know, it wasn't like they were signing Michael Brantley and Jackie Bradley. Like it was um, yeah, it's either or. Yeah. And um, there's a case to be made that, that maybe, you get two outfielders for the price of Brantley and it, it is more, um, you know, kind of fits the roster better. But um, I, I mean, at the well, same time, like Michael Brantley's a really good hitter. And if he does stay healthy, that's a huge boon for their lineup and does allow them, you know, to sacrifice some offense in center field if they're getting that type of offense from everywhere else. What is the market for Jackie Bradley Jr. going to be compared to what it was for Michael Brantley? Do you have a sense for that? I don't have a great sense for it. I think he gets less in average annual value, but maybe a third year. Okay. Um, hmm. Because that honestly, and, and people may be upset when they hear this, that, that might have made me think about signing Jackie Bradley Jr. over Michael Brantley just because... I think I upgrade defensively in center field. I keep my lineup flexibility with my corner outfield spots and Alvarez at DH. And that's something I would have, that's something I would have considered. Yeah. I mean, it's tough to really play um, GM like we are without knowing if Jackie Bradley Jr. even would want to come here. Right. Like, yeah, we, don't, we don't know that those factors, but um, yeah, on paper, just like from a pure, like we're playing fantasy baseball over here. Like, I agree with you. Or I think you could have argued that you get, um, you know, so Brantley's making 16 per year. You, you sign two outfielders, you know, one for, you sign a Robbie Grossman for five year, uh, 5 million uh, average annual value, and then someone else for eight. And uh, Hmm. you have two players instead of one, but, um, but ultimately like at the end of the day, like there is something to be said for, um, bringing back a player who um, fans are attached to, who the other players in the clubhouse are attached to. And, um, you know, I think, you know, I've, I've wondered, like, if the negative blowback from Springer leaving had anything to do with it, too. You know, just from, yeah, like, that- like they let every free agent walk. Um, although at least the marquee free agents. So, like, it's almost, it almost felt like, like, Jim Crane kind of throw in the fan base a bone a little bit, you know, I was, I was just about to go there, Jake. Uh, I, I just wonder based on the process here, not giving Brantley the qualifying offer Springer signs with Toronto report about Brantley being close to Toronto on a deal. And then all of a sudden the Astros swoop in and we find out middle of the day, Oh, Brantley's actually coming back to Houston. It does make you wonder, like did Jim Crane step in, in that last day and say, okay, we, <laughs> we need to like, as you mentioned, throw the fans a bone and get this deal done. In which case, like, it seems like not a great way to do business if that's indeed how it worked out. I'd like to think that he read my story that morning about how the Astros let all of their free agents walk and, and he got pissed. just wanted to, like, um, throw that little wrinkle in there. 
<laughs> he wanted to stick it to Jake Kaplan. <laughs> <laughs> I got to stick it to Jake right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, what was your, did you have any big takeaways from Brantley meeting with uh, the media on, let's see, Monday afternoon when he, when they had the official like news conference of him re-signing? You mean the news conference that they called at 530 for five for 545 Zoom? Um, yes. That one. Yeah. No, not really. I mean, he, he did admit that they were close with the Blue Jays, but, um, you know, obviously nothing was done. And he said that he is happy to be back in Houston. He's not a, exactly a man of, of many words. Um, yes, Michael this Bradley. is true. So uh, <laughs> I don't I didn't have any major takeaways from it, but he he's clearly happy to be back with the Astros. In uh, the news conference, James Click stated that the Astros, in his mind, are still a championship-caliber roster. Are you buying what he is selling? Hmm. Well, I don't know if I'm. I don't know if I'm quite there. I, th- I was thinking about this a lot last night. I think he, even if they weren't, he would still say that. Um, that is true, right? That's why you know you know how I am with public. <laughs> declarations like they they only mean so much to me but because the opposite would be like guys we are not a championship caliber roster yeah like there's certain things that you just like there's no downside you say them um but i do think i mean okay so the a's lost liam Hendricks, uh yusmero petit joaquin soria robbie grossman marcus Semyon. at least they haven't re-signed those players yeah and they haven't added anyone. So I think the Astros do have the best roster in the AL West. Um, I think the Angels have gotten a little bit better. And if they were assigned Trevor Bauer, that would be really interesting. I don't know if that's going to happen. But um, I, I think right now they have the best roster in the division. And if you say that they're the favorite to win a division, then they are, by definition, a, a championship contender because the playoffs are such a crapshoot. Um, I think on paper, they're slightly worse than last year coming into last year when everyone was healthy and, yeah, um, you know, it was looking like they had Alvarez and Springer, but I do think, um, I think there's more variance in the potential outcomes than, than we've seen in a while, right? Like. If Altuve bounces back, their lineup could be really good. If Gurriel bounces back, if Correa is better than he was last year offensively, uh, I'm, you know, I have little doubt Bregman's going to be better. Um, but like, maybe Altuve is not better. Maybe Gurriel's not better. Like, there, I think there's a lot of different outcomes here for yes for their offense in particular. Yeah, my my main thought was for this team to be pretty good it's going to be more based on the offense than the pitching or the defense to me, especially with the infield. Correa's got to stay healthy and translate what happened to the postseason into the regular season. Altuve's got to get better. Uh, he has to be better than he was last season. I think that should be the case based on what he did in the postseason, at least um, offensively. Bregman, as you mentioned, not worried about. And then getting Alvarez back. You know, Gurriel, I'm not exactly quite sure. Tucker, I'm pretty optimistic. Um, I think it's got to be be, be be more based on what they do offensively. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, the, the starting rotation, as we mentioned heading out of last season, like they have five legitimate guys based on what, what has happened in 2020, particularly with the younger guys like Valdez and Urquidy and Javier. And now you have the question, like with younger pitchers, okay, it's that next year. Like how many innings are these guys going to throw? Um it feels like a rotation filled with two and three starters, not a knock, but just kind of reality compared to what we've seen here. And, you know, the bullpen, like, is it better? Well, they've got some more names in there. They're getting Joe Smith back, which I like. They signed Pedro Baez, who's slow working. Um, and then, like, you know, what happens with Anoli Paredes in year two? Um, it, does Ryan Presley pitch a little bit better in 2021? I think if I'm looking at the way this team stacks up, where they can be really good compared to the league, I think it's much more likely to be their offense than anything else. 100% agree. Um, and if you look at like the Fangraphs projections, they have the Astros as one of the best offenses. And I think, you know, that's interesting. Be- you know, it makes sense on paper because of the names they have in their lineup, but it's interesting because of how much they underachieved offensively in the 60-game regular season. 
Um, now we do get swayed a little bit by the 60 game regular season. It, it's only 60 games, you know, but I think we get swayed even more by the 18 game playoffs, you know? Um, I don't know. I think, I think they have, okay. I think Bregman's a safe bet. I think Alvarez is a safe bet. And I think Brantley is a safe bet to be above average to elite or somewhere in between. So, so you're concerned about Altuve. Yeah. How can you not be after last season? Um, I think, I think there's a lot of different outcomes for Altuve. I think even Tucker, I think he'll be good, but is he the guy, you know, we're, we're basing, we're, we're kind of anointing Tucker as a guy based off 60 games, right? Like there, yep. he's going to have slumps. He's going to have to make adjustments uh, even now. So, um, you know, I think with the other four guys out of their top seven, there is some variance there. Um, Correa could be what he was last year, or he could be, you know, like the best shortstop in baseball. Like there's just a lot of different outcomes you could see from, from their hitters. I'm looking at Altuve and what he did uh, this past season. So, all right, I got to figure out how to sort this properly. Um, but so obviously in the, in the regular season, it was a disaster, right? And he hit 219 OPS, 629. Like he was a below average offensive player a, in the regular season. By a season. lot. He had a 71 yes. OPS plus and the average is 100. Now, in the postseason, which is, uh, how many games is this? I, I got to calculate that real quick. Uh so he had three. He slashed three seventy five, five hundred, seven twenty nine OPS of one point two two nine. So you know he was he was exceptional at the plate in the postseason. That's forty eight at bats. So seven in the in the CS thirteen games plus the four. Yeah, so thirteen games. Um, again, also not a huge sample size. I I would like to like. I wonder extremely sure, high BABIP as well. We should mention. Good points, and and we and we discussed that a lot in the, in the regular season uh, last year. How it was so low, but he was hitting the ball. I think clearly with more power. Yeah, uh, in the he postseason, hit five like, homers after how many did he have in the regular season? Yeah, two, five. Okay, so he uh, I, I think actually also five, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, think he'll be better than he was last regular season. I just, I you know, I don't know what he's gonna be. Like, there's a lot of uncertainty for me about what exactly which version you you get. I mean, yeah. the odds are it's somewhere in between all the ones we've seen, but you don't know. Um, you know, I, I just think that like there's uncertainty. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And also, and I know this is not the exact topic here, but what happens with him defensively based on what we saw in the uh, American League Championship Series? Yeah. Yeah. That'll be an interesting question for, um, I guess, more of the regular season than spring training. But um yeah, I just I think, you know, this is kind of maybe the nature of a lineup that's a lot of older hitters. There's going to be more variance. Um, yep. Um, but like I said, I, I really think Bregman, Alvarez, Brantley are like you can count on those three. Um, and then the rest, the four, they could be the best four hitters on the team or they could be somewhere where they were last year. There's just so many different outcomes I could see. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. What do you think about the uh, pitching staff and the bullpen? Did, did my analysis make sense or did you have some different thoughts there? Yeah, I think I think number they have a bunch of twos and threes in the rotation, like you said, and that's fine. There's threes who start on opening day for some teams. Um, and I think depth is an issue. Like once you get past those top five, there's not much, um, you know, it's mostly prospects who have no little to no experience. So that, uh, could be problematic. And then the bullpen I think is a lot better. Um, you know, you do have to account for some injuries or regression from the young players. Um, I think we, you know, Paredes, Taylor, Scrub, Javier. Yeah, you don't know. Like you think they're going to be the same, but you don't know that. And um, but I think just adding more options, like they did to the bullpen with Stanek and Baez, and and then Joe Smith coming back, I think that's a big deal. I think Presley, the further he gets away from his knee issues of 2019, will continue to get better. Um, I think their bullpen's solid. Like I think it's it's very solid. Yeah, I think that that makes sense. Like I I wish they had somebody who is in the elite category as a high-leverage guy. I don't think they do, although Presley can be that guy. And they have others, to be fair, who might be able to develop into that guy. But yeah, I think it's a solid bullpen, not one of like the very best in baseball, but one with a bunch of options. So I think what James Click did with the bullpen made sense. Yeah, but again, they don't have a ton of depth there either. Um, right now, like... What about Luis Garcia, Josh James, Austin Pruitt? <laughs> yeah, I think they're going to have to use the Luis Garcia, Brandon Belak, Forrest Whitley, like the excess starters, the starting prospects yes. as relievers to get through the season. Um, because if you look at the strict relievers, right now it's Presley, Smith, Baez, uh, Stanek, Paredes, Taylor, Rayleigh, Scrub. I think I'm missing one there. You get the point. And then, like, you look at the next tier, it's like Brian Abreu, who could be really good or or could be what he was last year. And then from there, it's, like, down to Nivaldo Rodriguez. So, like, yes. because they, they traded CNL Perez, um, they... Um, Umberto's gone. Umberto's gone, or at least he's not on the 40-man anymore. He might, yeah. he might clear waivers. Um, we should have done an emergency podcast for that, by the way. I know. Pour uh, one out for Umberto <laughs> Castellanos. Um, <laughs> but there's just not a lot of depth. And I, I don't think they're alone in that. Like, I, don't, I think a lot of teams have the yeah. same issue. Who the hell's got bullpen depth? Yeah, but, but I think... <laughs> like on the back end. But I think they're going to need um, whoever the 2021 version of Paredes and, and Taylor are, right? We just don't know who they are yet. That's the big question. Now, another bit of news from James Click's news conference on Monday... Carlos Correa seeming to uh, buck the trend of Houston athletes. He actually wants to stay, and he is interested in a long-term contract with the Astros. So I, I am really divided on this one, Jake. Um, I thought it was pretty clear in 2020 that Correa had morphed into sort of into the leader of the team, essentially. And I think we saw that, especially uh, in the ALCS. And he is a fantastically talented player. You mentioned he could be the best shortstop in baseball. On the, and I like his age as far as signing someone to a long-term deal. What scares me is this is somebody who's had major issues staying healthy. And if I am Jim Crane, and that's the guy ultimately making this kind of decision, like I got to really know what their medicals are on Correa's back and some of the other injuries that he's, that, that he's had before I'm committing, I don't know, 200 million, 250 million, whatever it's going to take, that scares me, even though I appreciate a lot what Correa has turned into as a player and a leader. Correa, in my opinion, has no incentive to sign an extension. Um, 
if he plays out 2021, he's got more to gain by having a strong 2021 than maybe any player in baseball. Um, Hard to argue. Like right now, you look at the five shortstops that are going to be available next year. I would put him like third or fourth um, in terms of like safe, like who you would feel the most comfortable giving 10 years and 300 million to. Because let's be honest, as soon as Manny Machado got that, that's what they're all going to want. Um, Lindor is the consensus number one, but I think if Correa has like a really, really strong 2021, he could vault himself to number two on that list. Um, yeah, but the durability questions are real. I mean, it's not his fault. He didn't play a full 2020 because it was only 60 games. Like he did play a full 2020, but it just, yeah, he actually, it, it should be noted. He played a full 2020 in the postseason. So at least for last year, you know, not nearly as many games, right. but I guess I'll give the check mark. There. Yeah. I mean, it's tough to like, you can't ding him for, for last year. He, he, yes. he played, but the pre three previous seasons, he did not play a full season. And that leaves 2016 as his lone full major league season. Um, yep. So he really needs that, that full healthy 2021 and he could make himself a ton of money if he does it. And also if you're him, do you want to see what the Astros look like in the off season as opposed to right now? What, you know, there's the sense that this is their windows on the way to closing. Um, you know, if, you know, if the team looks like it's in worse shape at the end of the season than it does now, do you want to sign up for a rebuild? That doesn't really make much sense. So I, I really don't like, I know, um, you know, everyone's going to talk about speculation about extensions, but like how many extensions have we seen since the pandemic started? Like out of the big money guys, Mookie is the only one. Uh, yep. I just don't really think the stars are going to align here. Um, you know, I think it, it's interesting that he says he wants to stay in Houston, but like, really, hey, do you believe him? Yeah, because I, I, do. I do. No, I, I do. do. I do. I just think like at the end of the day, like we talked about earlier with the free agents going where the most money is like at the end of the day, it's going to the thing that matters is what the Astros offer him. Right. He yes, can want to stay. Of course, the Astros can want to retain him. But if they don't offer him what he thinks he's worth, it doesn't matter. So, yeah. I think there's been this sort of hovering question the last year or so with the sign stealing scandal, like how attractive are the Astros going to be to other free agents? And it's hard to get a clear answer a year later. They re-signed Brantley. So that's, you know, a, a, a data point, maybe a significant one, um, because I'm sure he was offered close to the amount by Toronto and he could have gone there. Um, Correa <laughs> definitely seems like the kind of guy who, I mean, he, he, he has embraced all of this and has like thrived in this environment somehow. So <laughs> I think of all people, like that's not something that he'd be concerned about. Well, I mean, it's different. Like he was on the 2017 Astros, right? Like he was, he was, he was yes. part, like we're talking, it's kind of two different conversations, like guys who were on the 2017 Astros leaving versus free agents coming. Yeah. Um, yeah, but also, but also the idea, like I understand, like Brantley wasn't on that team, but I'm guessing we're gonna have some fans in the stands uh, in 2021. So some people might have the thought, like, hey, a guy like Michael Brantley who wasn't on the 2017 team, does he want to be associated with that and booed with the rest of them in 2021? Well, he comes back to the Astros and makes that choice. Yeah, maybe players don't care about getting booed as much as we think. I, I don't think they do either. I, I just want to. I just wanted to like yeah. throw it out yeah. there and, and mention it. Yeah, for for me, it was never like a dispositive thing. It was never a big. I think deal. every player is different, and like everyone's gonna have their own opinion. Um, like I don't think there's gonna be a blanket like free agents do or don't want to come. I think it's like this free agent wants to come. This free agent doesn't want to come. Um, yeah, probably not gonna sign uh, Joe Kelly <laughs> if he was available. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, although that. <laughs> The Correa thing's interesting um, because he's he's one of the most talented players on the planet, but like he, you know, it, it, I think I think I wrote this recently. He's kind of like the case study in recency bias. Like, if the Astros had missed the playoffs last year, like in a normal year, they would have with that winning percentage. Um, the conversation is about how Correa was a below-average hitter in 2020. But they made the playoffs and Correa had a great playoffs. So that's what we're choosing to remember. 
Yes. And also, like, I think I think a big part of this is the fan sentimentality with him. And as soon as he oh, as yeah. soon as he did the Ken Rosenthal interview and became the really the first and first guy to like defend the Astros um, in the wake of the scandal. I think he was like good for life in Houston, right? Like he could do, he could miss the rest of it every game and he'd be fine because of uh, speaking out in defense of the Astros. So I think, you know, there's a lot of things that the fans are, are valuing that the front office probably doesn't, you know, they're, they're thinking about all these things from business and economical stuff. Of course. What did you think of the Astros signing Jason Castro, their former first-round pick who was with the team from 2010 to 2016? Was this on your radar at all? Um, yeah, I was su- really surprised he got two years. Um, yeah, that was, that, was, that, that was the odd part of the deal to me as well. Yeah, I thought he would get like one year, four million, somewhere in that range. Um, I think it's fine. I mean, like, I don't really have a huge reaction to it, I think. It makes sense. I wanted a huge reaction. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense to. Ins- they needed more insurance behind Maldonado, but um, they needed a better player than Dustin Garner. Right. I mean, they really only got away with that because it was a sixty-game season. Um, yeah. You know, I think. You know, you, you. It makes sense to get a, a a backup who's a lefty because you don't have to worry about you know, like they're going to start against righties more often than they are lefties. There's more righties in baseball anyway. So it makes it easy to line up his starts. Um, But I, Maldonado is still their, their clear starter and their, their guy. And, you know, Maldonado is a free agent at the end of the the year. So I guess the logic for the two year deal is that like, they're not completely bare come next off season now that they have Castro, but um but yeah, I, I still was surprised he got that second year. I was surprised as well. I mean, I, I'm fine with it. I think it's an upgrade over the backup catcher spot. Uh, offensively, the production has not been you know very good the uh, the last couple of years. Um, this past year, either with San Diego or the Angels, um, he's always you know I, I I've always been fine with his you know approach at the plate um, as far as drawing walks and his strike zone. I guess you know. It, from what I can tell, the pitchers like working with him, um, which I think is the case for seemingly a lot of catchers. And when you don't hear that, it must mean that they hate working with them. Um, so I think from that standpoint, I think it was fine. Yeah, let's let's hear about the times when pitchers hate working with catchers. That would be a good segment. Uh, uh, I feel like that's when you run into these like maybe Gary Sanchez kind of situations <laughs> where it's kind of like it's like, hey, why the hell are we? putting in this like not great hitter with our excellent pitcher every fifth day. And like, what's really going on here? <laughs> That's what I always think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess we, we should talk about, it's not a deal the Astros made, but by allocating their resources to Brantley and Castro, in addition to Baez and Stanek, it kind of signals that Miles Straws, their starting center fielder. And I'm curious as to your thoughts on that. <sighs> Well, I think he'll be fine defensively in center field. That's not groundbreaking analysis. I just, man, that's a, like, they're putting in somebody, like, they're going to have some weak spots in the lineup. Like, the lineup that we were just talking about, like, that bottom of the lineup. I know Maldonado's got some power when he can get a hold of fastballs, but, like, man, that Miles Straw spot is going to be, like, that, that, it almost feels like, uh, the kind of spot they haven't had in their lineup in a while. I mean, you're you're better at remembering some of this than I am, but I can't remember the last time they had somebody like a Miles Straw who's going to be in their lineup every single day. I, I feel like it's been a while since they had that caliber of a hitter in a negative way. Yeah. I mean, there were stretches where Marisnik played every day. Um, yeah, but I liked, I liked his hair. I like his defense, you know. <laughs> He liked, <laughs> he liked his first name. I get it. Um, yeah, I like his first name. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. Uh, I think you're right. But um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of, of like, I, I, I think if the top seven performs cumulatively like they should, it's not going to be an issue. Um, if there's injuries or regression to two or three of those top seven hitters. It's going to, it's a problem. It's going to be an issue. Also, yes. are we sure dusty Baker's not going to bat him lead off? Uh, we are, I would not make any bets on it. Yeah. 
I'm not making any bets. Yeah, I, I could see Dustin looking at this lineup and be like, you know, you know what we need right now? Uh, we need to have Miles Straw getting the most bets of all these guys. I mean, it happened last that, year, didn't it? That's why I, <laughs> yeah. I'm only saying that because he did it last year. There was, I mean, I'm trying to pull up the batting order stuff right now, and batting order doesn't matter that much, but. Um, but you don't want him betting lead off. Right, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, like, yeah, they can't they can't do that. Um, I mean, they had Reddick in the two hole for a bunch of last year. Um, yeah, Straw <laughs> batted second a few times, batted first a couple, uh, three times. Is there any argument for him somehow getting better at the plate? Probably not. Um, maybe, maybe with regular bats. I think he could get slightly better. I, I don't think he can like be a great hitter i think he could he could so his career ops plus is 75 in 200 at bats that's like what josh reddick was last year right yeah like he could do that i think he could like offensively he could do that um and you know maybe maybe that's enough you know yeah and if he can draw some walks and, and find his way on base then obviously things really flip because then the pitcher has to deal with his speed on the base paths, which we know is is pretty elite. So he, he does give you that from an offensive standpoint. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, like, I know every all the fans want them to go get Jackie Bradley or go get someone better, but, like... Um, yeah, that ain't happening now. It's just, like, you know, it, it's, it's not great that this happens, but teams treat the luxury tax is a salary cap and absolutely last, there's no doubt about last that. year for the Astros was an outlier more than a new normal uh, it was kind of you know a one-year splurge I think Jake before we wrap up I want to uh, talk about the season in general and kind of the latest updates so technically spring training would be three weeks away uh, we're in a weird spot in this country right now because we have like dueling things going on. Uh, pandemic not in great shape to say the least. Cases exploding, although I think they have been actually on a down, on a, a bit of a downward trend, <laughs> but they're also like at a sky high level that they're coming down from. Um, there was some issue in Maricopa County in Arizona where the Cactus League is, where I think I don't know what the hell happened. Like they, they were like the, Mar- the county doesn't want them to start spring training in February. What, what's the deal with that? I didn't even know that like the Grapefruit League and Cactus League had like a body of people that runs them. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't, maybe they don't, but like there was a letter from the Cactus League signed by, I think it was all the mayors of the towns out there in Arizona that said they want MLB to delay spring training. Um, I don't think, you know, at this point, I, I've been skeptical all winter. If you, if we had done more episodes throughout the offseason, listeners would have gotten tired of hearing me say that I'm skeptical spring training is going to start on time. But now that it's January 26th and yeah, MLB, like the only way it's not going to start on time is if MLB and the union negotiate something else and they don't even talk to each other. So um, I <laughs> think it's going to start on time. Do you think we're going to get 162 games? Is there a thought that it might be a, a few fewer than that? I think if it starts on time that they're going to try to play a full season. Yeah. Um, will they be successful? I don't know. But yeah. Yeah. It's almost like we, we'd have to use what's happening with the NBA regular season as a model where they constantly have regular postponements, cancellations. And I don't even know like what the standards are going to look like at the end of the season. I'm sure they'll kind of sort that out. But you'll probably see um, that happening in baseball. And it, would it be fair or too much of a leap to say, as far as the season goes, it feels like what they really need to do is just get through like April, May, and June, and they should be in decent shape by the summer from a, like a vaccine standpoint. Yeah, the vaccine standpoint's the the key, right? The big unknown: when exactly will it be the sports um, leagues turn to yep. get their shots? Um, yeah, I don't know. That's that's unanswerable, right? Um, but, I mean, it's got to be during the baseball season, you'd think. has to be, So, yes. unlike the NFL, they do have that going for them. Um, the NFL that's season that's wrapping up, that is. Um, but, unlike the other sports, they do play every day. And 
how does that, you know, we're seeing what happens with the NBA and all their postponements and they don't play every day. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Um, you know, I'm, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, it's weird. Like it's January 26th and there's people who don't like players are planning to go, but like, you know, talk to a lot of media members who don't, we don't know if we're going, um, we don't know if there's gonna be any media access, you know, you talk to yep. scouts, you know, I think scouts and fans will be at the spring training games, but I haven't heard that for sure. Um, do you know what you're going to be doing? No, <laughs> that's, that's the weird part. Yeah. I, I don't yet. Um, I actually went to Florida like two weeks ago, probably not the greatest move ever. Uh, so I, I survived Florida. Now that probably gives you zero basis for anything. It was my dad's 60th birthday. So that was oh, my, nice. that was my justification. Nice. Um, yeah. I mean, for, for media, I think it's more to do with if we go, is there access? Can we watch yeah. the players throw their bullpen sessions, take batting practice? And can we interview them masked and at a distance? Yeah. If we can't, if we can't see anything or talk to anyone, then there's not a ton of reason to go and it's all going to be on zoom again. Um, so it's just a matter of that. But like, I mean, like the Astros haven't even announced their first workout date technically. Like there's just like, like we don't know. They haven't announced their non-roster invitees. Like usually this time it's all set and it's just, it's still very much a lot of things that we don't know. And it feels like everyone's just waiting for someone else to make the official call. Yeah, and someone's going to have to make this official call in, you know, the next couple of weeks because that's when pitchers and catchers report. Um, it, it's amazing. I feel like the offseason is, from that standpoint, has gone fairly quickly. Like, I feel like end of October, early November was, it feels like it was a lot closer than I guess it is based on the calendar. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 both gone quickly and slowly, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah, I think that that's a good way to put it. So basically, we are in a wait-and-see approach, and as you mentioned, it's always tricky analyzing what's going to happen because of the very frosty at best relationship between the union and Major League Baseball as well at this point, where I'm not really sure who's looking out for the best interest of the game. Yeah, I mean, the, the whole... DH thing is a joke, right? <laughs> like the NL. Yeah, yeah. Like so, basically, so it, it seems like what? So Major League Baseball is tying the uh, the DH with the extra inning rule, and they want the union to take a deal that they don't want to take. Yeah, basically, both sides want the DH universally, but MLB yes. wants something in exchange for it. Yes, which is like as always. Yeah, it's just like. Like you said, is anyone looking out for like the good of the game? Um, you know, so we don't know. We don't know how many teams are going to make the playoffs. I mean, I guess last year we didn't know until like an hour before the first pitch of the first game. But hopefully this year they can figure that out sooner. Indeed. All right. Well, that'll do it for this latest episode of the Crawford Talks. Uh, be patient with us over the uh, next uh, few months or so as we figure out spring training and what the season is going to look like. We, want, we wanted to do a check-in, especially after the big news of last week with Springer going to Toronto and the Astros making their big move of the offseason, re-signing outfielder Michael Brantley. He is Jay Kaplan. I'm Mike Meltzer. This has been the latest episode of the Crawford Talks, an Astros podcast brought to you by The Athletic. The Athletic.